Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. This morning, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called Movement That Matters. Now, I've made it very clear in previous messages that I'm not a runner. Don't care for it at all, right? Now, if it's uh, running is involved in playing a sport, all right, I can get behind that. Uh, but running just to run, I'm not about that whatsoever. But I do recognize for those of you who enjoy running, Elk Grove is a great place to be. The weather's nice. It's dry, maybe a little hot, but it's consistent, right? So you can get out there and run uh, and never be deterred by weather, or at least precipitation. Uh, the terrain is very flat, and so that's in your favor. And then there are so many bike paths and sidewalks to run on. It is rare that I go out in Elk Grove without seeing someone who is running. Even on my way here this morning, I saw two people running, and I just prayed for them. I'm like, God, help them, right? Just help them. Uh, and so even though I'm not a runner, I can't help but notice when I see someone with an unorthodox running motion, right? I mean, from time to time, you'll see those people who I like to say, like, they got the T-Rex thing going on. They got the hands at the sides, and they're just going like this while they run. Like, what's up with, like, what are you doing with your arms? Or there's the people who don't think they can move their arms while they run. And so it's just like, yo, you, you can do that. Like, like, boom, they're just at the side and stiff. But perhaps my favorite is people who hop while they run. Right? And like they go as high as they do forward with every stride. I don't even know how they do it. Right? But it's just like, I can't figure it out. But they go as high as they go forward. So all of you runners, beware. I may be critiquing you for the comfort of my air-conditioned vehicle as I drive past you. But just know that there is judgment coming your way if you don't know how to run right. Now, Miles, our youngest son and two-year-old, man, it brings a smile to my face watching that little dude run. It is a full-body affair. He's often got one arm in the air. The other one's pumping as fast as he can go. He also has the little hop thing going on with the legs kicking out to the side. Right? I'm not even coordinated enough to do it. It's terrible. He has some serious work to do. We got to coach him up. But man, it makes me smile every time I see him run. So every time though, it's, it's Miles or the people in Elk Grove with poor form, I can't help but think how much energy they're wasting with unnecessary movements. They've got so much going on and it's not actually helping them make progress. In fact, their poor form is probably slowing them down and causing them to burn more energy than necessary. Now, whether it's running or in any other area of life, we know that busyness doesn't guarantee productivity, right? We can be busy all day long and not get anything of real value done. In other words, there can be a lot of movement, but it's not movement that matters, it's not movement that gets you to where you actually need to be. Now, this can be true in our personal lives. This can be true in business. And unfortunately, this can be true in the church as well. We can be busy doing a lot of good things, but not making progress where it matters most. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about what matters most, and it's our calling as followers of Jesus. We're called to make 
disciples. We're called to make more followers of Jesus, but not just to make disciples. We're called to make disciples who are capable of making more disciples, who are then capable of making more disciples. That is what we have been called to. And this calling is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It is known as the Great Commission. And Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, my assumption would be, if you're a follower of Jesus, or you've been attending church for some time, that this isn't new information to you. See, most followers of Jesus, we, we know that we're called to make disciples. And whether or not we act on it, most believers know and understand that this, this calling, the Great Commission, is not just for pastors or church staff, but it's for every follower of Christ. We know, as Dan Spader writes, the Great Commission is an everyday commission for every believer, for every moment of their everyday lives. However, rarely do we talk about the actual process of making disciples. We talk about the end goal, the end product all the time. We're called to make disciples. But rarely do we ever talk about how. How do we get there? And so there's very few believers who actually know what that process looks like. And we're left asking ourselves, well, well, how do I make a disciple who is capable of making a disciple? And we might have been following Jesus for years, and we still don't know how to go about doing that. And, and yes, sure, we know the end game. I'm called to make disciples. But how? What does that look like? Well, to answer this question, we want to examine the life of Jesus and, and follow the model, the example, the pattern that he used while on earth to make disciples. Now, as we dive into this series, I got to give a shout out to Dan Spader and his book, Four Chair Discipling, which helped us to shape this series. And after studying the life of Jesus for, excuse me, for decades, Dan made some key observations about how Jesus made disciples. And in his book, Dan presents four challenges of Jesus that represent the intentional moving of individuals through various stages of development toward Christ-likeness. And each of these uh, challenges or stages of development are represented by a chair, Hence the name of his book, Four Chair Discipling, and the four chairs that you see on the stage behind me. And so throughout this series, over the next four weeks, we will unpack each of these commands that Jesus gave and talk about the process of going from an unbeliever to a mature follower of Christ. And our desire is to provide you with a framework, to provide you with a roadmap for the work that we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And not only that, though, we, we want to provide you with that roadmap, but not only that, we want to help you identify what chair you're sitting in. What chair are you sitting in, and what do you need to do to make progress, to move forward toward Christ-likeness? And not only that, we want to help you identify the people you're trying to reach 
in your life? What chair are they sitting in? And what do you need to do to intentionally help them move toward Christ-likeness, to make progress on the road of disciple-making? And Lord willing, we want to create a disciple-making movement at LifePoint. And we want you to be a part of it because that is movement that matters. And so this morning, let's talk about the first challenge of Jesus, the first chair. Now, chair one is occupied by those who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. If someone has not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, they are sitting in chair one. It doesn't matter if they're a part of another religion, if they are atheists, or they just don't care, right? Uh, they are sitting in chair one. However, while those who are sitting in chair one have this lack of faith in Jesus in common, not everyone who's sitting in chair one is the same. There are some people who are sitting in chair one and they live at the corner of uninterested and unsaved, right? Unsaved and uninterested. That's where they live. They don't have a relationship with Jesus and they have zero interest in having a relationship with Jesus for whatever reason. But then there are those in chair one who live at the corner of unsaved and interested. They, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they're open to the idea of faith, even if just a little bit. They're open to it. They're not completely closed off. They might be intrigued by Christianity or the person of Jesus. Some people who live at this intersection might even be described as a seeker. They are actively exploring Christianity. And to those who are open, to those who are interested, Jesus gives the challenge to come and see. Come and see. And we see this for the first time in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Allow me to read these verses for us. It says, The next day, John the Baptist was there again with, his two, with two of his disciples. And we, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So Andrew and another disciple, who's assumed to be John, we're not told exactly who it is, but Andrew and, and one of the other disciples, they had been involved in and, and tracking with the ministry of John the Baptist. They were interested in what John had to say. They would have heard John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And they would have been present for John's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for. And so it should come as no surprise to us when they hear that declaration made that their focus turns from John the Baptist to Jesus and they begin following him. And it's uh, when he's aware of their interests, Jesus asks them, what do you want? And they respond by asking Jesus where he's staying. And then Jesus responds with the challenge that applies to all those who are sitting in the first chair. Come and you will see. This wasn't merely an invitation. 
to see where Jesus was staying, right? I don't think the disciples really cared. Like, does Jesus stay at the Hilton or the Motel 6 when he's on the road? Like, I don't, I don't think they cared. I don't think, like, Jesus, let us follow you all the way home. We want to see your bed. Like, no, that's weird, right? I don't think that's what was going on here. But this was an invitation to come and to spend time with Jesus and to have their questions answered. It was an invitation to come to simply show up and learn more. Now, as I considered chair one and those who sit there, a stadium seat or a stadium chair comes to mind. I imagine that many of us have had the experience of going to a Sacramento Kings or a River Cats game or a Giants or an A's game. And while there, we've had that chance to sit in one of those fold-down stadium chairs, right? Now, even if you haven't had that experience, maybe you've sat in a chair, a stadium chair like I have up here, one you strap to one a, a bleacher, perhaps while you've watched your kids or grandkids play sports. Now, to those who are sitting in the first chair. They are interested. They are oftentimes invested in what's going on. So much so that they might even sit on the edge of their seat. They're engaged. They care about what's happening on the field. They might even have enough interest to applaud or cheer when something good happens because they are fans of those on the field, even to a degree. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, no matter how engaged they are, if they're sitting in this chair, they're still observing. They're in the stands. They're not on the field. They're watching. They're not in the game. See, in the same way, those who are sitting in the first chair, they might be a fan of Jesus, but they're not yet a genuine follower of Jesus. They don't yet have a relationship with Jesus that will save them. Now, of course, our hope for anyone who sits in this chair is that they would come and see experience for themselves who Jesus is. And after experiencing that, that they would accept the second command or the second challenge of Jesus to repent and believe, to put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation. In other words, we want them to stand up, get out of chair one, and get into the game. But until they put their faith and trust in Jesus, for as long as that remain, the, the decision remains unmade, they sit in the first chair. And for as long as they're sitting in the first chair, our role as followers of Jesus is to reach them with the gospel message. Now, like I said earlier, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or around church for a little while, it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you to hear me say that our role as followers of Christ is to reach those with the gospel message who are lost, who are sitting in chair one. In other words, our, our goal, our job is to win the lost. And of course, conversion is a significant part of the disciple-making process. That's where it all begins. It's the desired outcome for those who are sitting in the first chair. However, 
as important as it is for us to identify the end goal, we are called to make disciples. That doesn't answer the question, how? All right, I, I know I'm a follower of Jesus and I know I'm supposed to make disciples, but how? What does that even look like? Because it's one thing for me to know that and it's another thing for me to know how to do that. Thankfully, Jesus gives us a pattern, an example to follow when it comes to ministering to those who are sitting in chair one. And by following his example, we're able to meet the needs of those sitting in the first chair and help them move from a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus, to move forward in the disciple-making process. And so the first need of those sitting in chair one is Christ followers who are willing to enter into their world relationally. This is what Jesus did for us. He left the comforts of heaven and became like us in order to reach us, the lost. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And why did he come? Mark 10, 45 says, to give his life as a ransom for many. If it's your desire to be used by God to make disciples, and it ought to be, because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's our calling, then you have to ask yourself, who has God placed right around me? Who has God already placed right around me? Who's in the cubicle next to me? Who lives across the street from me? Who's in the same class I am? Who is in the same team that I'm on? Who goes to the same gym I go to? Who is the barista at the coffee shop that I frequent? Who has God already placed around me? And what am I doing to enter their world? Am I leaving my comfort zone and intentionally creating and looking for opportunities to invest time in and build relationship with those who don't know Jesus. You see, the people who are already in your life, they're not there by mere chance and coincidence. God has put those specific people in your life so that you could be Jesus to them. We don't have to wait for some divinely inspired event for God to show us, who do you want me to reach, Lord? He's already done that. By putting them in your life, he's answered that question. You know who you're supposed to be reaching. They're around you already. You see, the people in your life who are sitting in chair one, they're not going to magically accept Christ one day. That's not how God works. That's why he's created the church. He's given us that task. That means they need believers. You and I, who are willing to enter their world, just like Jesus did for us. And here's where it gets a little bit challenging, a little bit uncomfortable. Because that means if you don't know non-Christians, or if you are not regularly interacting with those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is a problem. That is a problem. Jesus spent so much time around people who were a little rough around the edges, who church folk were like, mm, don't know if I want to be seen with them. But that's how he spent his time. And if we're not interacting with people who don't know Jesus, something is wrong. We can't live our lives in Christian hermit status. 
to say like, hey, I'm going to surround myself with everybody who thinks like me, believes like I do, so we're in our safe little bubble. That's not what we're called to do. That's not how we're supposed to be living our lives. And so if you don't know non-Christians that you're regularly interacting with, that's a problem. And that needs to be addressed. And so if you want to make disciples, used by God to make disciples, then you have to make yourself available and begin intentionally investing in relationships with the non-Christians that God has already placed in your life. Or you need to get creative about going to find them. Maybe you need to join a gym just to interact with people who don't know Jesus. The second need of those sitting in chair one is Christ followers who have prepared themselves. You see, Jesus' public ministry didn't begin until he was 30 years old. And unfortunately, we don't know much about his adolescence or young adult years, except for one story found in Luke 2. When Jesus is 12 years old, his family goes to the feast of the Passover. At the end of the feast, Mary and Joseph head home. Jesus, without their knowing, stays behind in Jerusalem. Eventually, Mary and Joseph realize our son isn't with us. Uh, how do you lose the Messiah, by the way? It's kind of messed up. Um, and so they head back to Jerusalem and start looking for him for three days. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, 46, 47, which says, After three days, they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and making or and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, this, this glimpse into Jesus' life gives us the impression that he prepared himself. He was eager to learn and invested the time and energy to do so. And so when his public ministry began, he was ready to answer the questions and deal with the issues of those he was trying to reach. And so if we want to be used by God to make disciples, we need to prepare ourselves in two primary ways, knowledge and lifestyle. Knowledge and lifestyle. Now, when it comes to knowledge, it's not about knowing or having all the answers. You can go to Bible school, you can be in seminary, and you'll never have all the answers. Oh, of course you won't. But this is about taking the time to study, to prepare yourself as well as you can so you can answer as many questions as possible. And when the time comes, when you don't know the answer to the question that somebody's asking, it happens to all of us, acknowledge it. Hey, I don't know the answer to that question, but let me go do some more studying. Let me find out somebody who does, and I'll get back to you. It's that simple. You don't have to know it all. We wear this burden like, oh, I have to be omniscient like God in all things scripture. No, you don't. But you do need to work on preparing yourself so that you can answer as many questions as possible. And then when it comes to lifestyle, it's not about being perfect. Like, it's okay to be real with those you're trying to reach and, and let them know you still make mistakes. You still screw things up from time to time. But this is about making sure that you're living in a way that doesn't disqualify you or discount your testimony. Like we said a few weeks ago, if we affirm what the world affirms and live as the world does— to what then do we invite them in conversion that is different from what they already experience? The third need of those who are sitting in chair one is Christ followers who can present the gospel clearly to them. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How, they, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? 
You see, those who are sitting in chair one need someone to present the gospel to them so they can hear it and have the opportunity to respond to it. And so if you don't tell your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friend, barista about who Jesus is, then who's going to? Who's going to do that? See, if you want to be used by God to make disciples, then, then we need to be able to share the gospel message clearly and concisely. We need to be able to tell someone, this is the message that will save your life. You can't. He did. Because he did, you can. You can't. He did. Because he did, you can. You can't save yourself. Our sin separates us from God, and we can't earn our way back to him. He did. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died on the cross to pay for the punishment of our sins. And because he did, you can. Because Jesus died for us, you can be saved. Your relationship with God that is broken can be restored. And all you have to do is ask for God's forgiveness, believe that Jesus can save you, and commit to your life to, to live for him. Done. It's that simple. And of course, this isn't the only way to concisely share the gospel. There are countless tools and resources that have been developed over the years. But what's most important is that you know the gospel and you are prepared to communicate it clearly. And so if someone were to ask you, tomorrow morning, how do I become a Christian? What would your response be? Like, like do you know? Would you be able to have a response like, oh, let me call up Derek and he'll, he'll tell you like, no, I don't want to talk to them. I want you to talk to them. You tell them about Jesus. You tell them about your story. You tell them that you can't, he did, because he did, you can. You need to be able to do that. You see, I think this is why Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that you have. Because your ability to answer that question might allow them to make the most important decision of their lives. And so if you don't know how to respond to that question, I would encourage you to practice. To write it out. To do whatever you need to do to prepare yourself so that you can respond clearly and concisely. Because that is what people in chair one need from us. Now, as we strive to fulfill the role and the, the calling that God has given us to reach the lost, there's a couple of principles to keep in mind. The first principle is to keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. This challenge to come and see doesn't require much from the person who extends the challenge and the person who receives the challenge. Come and see. Just show up. Just come and learn. Get your questions answered. This can be as simple as hosting a barbecue for your neighbors. It can be as simple as inviting to someone to an outreach event. Like, like maybe unpugged by chance, right? Or, or it can be as simple as going out for a round of golf to intentionally build relationship with someone. It's about inviting people into our lives in order to get to know them. Keep it simple. And the second principle to keep in mind is that outreach, this, this process of reaching the lost, 
is that it is a process. It might take time. In fact, it will take time. And the steps of the outreach process, we addressed it last year in a message. The steps of the outreach process are cultivate, plant, and reap. CPR. Cultivate, plant, and reap. You see, first we have to cultivate, build relationship with people who don't know the Lord. And then at the right time and at the right depth, we have to plant the seed of the gospel into that relationship. And it might just be as simple as telling them, this is why I go to church. This is why I believe in Jesus. This is why I give some of my money to the church. This is why I serve at the church. It's planting a seed. And then there will come a time, Lord willing, that you reap a harvest. Make a clear gospel presentation and invite them. Invite them to put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation. Last September, we did a talk on this, as I just mentioned. And I would encourage you, at some point this week, to go back and listen to it. Like, if you're serious about making disciples and you know, hey, I I know people who are in chair one, then go back and listen to it. You can go to lifepoint.org slash spiritual CPR. Or you can find the message on our podcast and listen to it at a time and a half. Right? Speed it up a little bit. But go back and listen to this about how outreach is a process. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you got to ask yourself the question, who do I know that's sitting in chair one? And how can I begin to meet their needs in an effort to move them toward a relationship with Jesus? You see, ultimately, God draws people to himself, but he's given us a role to play. And we need to do everything we can to reach the lost, which is the first step in the disciple-making process. And I recognize there might be some here who are, who are themselves sitting in chair one. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. See, here's what you need to know. You can't. He did. And because he did, you can. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, and if you're ready to give your life to him, to commit to living for him, then I would encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. And it's not so much the exact words, but more that you mean it in your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated me from you. And I know there's nothing that I can do on my own to fix that. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins. Please forgive me. Please save me so that I can spend eternity with you. My life belongs to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you've just moved from chair one to chair two. And we would love to celebrate that decision with you, to help you and point you in the right direction, the next steps in the disciple-making process. The way to go about doing that is texting the word CONNECTING to 94000. You'll receive a link in return. Click on that link and then there's going to be a button. It says, I accepted Christ today. It's a really short form. We'd love for you just to quickly fill that out. Let us know and we'll be happy to follow up with you. Like I said at the beginning, our desire 
is that we would create a disciple-making movement at LifePoint because that's a movement that matters. And for that to happen, we got to start by reaching the lost. Friends, family, co-workers, baristas, whoever God has placed in your life who's sitting in chair one, that's really all that matters in our lives. And so I hope that you'll join us in this endeavor and that Lord willing, he will help us to create a movement that matters, a movement that matters right now and for all eternity. We can do that. That's the part of the church that we can be a part of with God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. God, I pray that we would be a a disciple-making movement here in Elk Grove. That's what you've called us to do. Help us in that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.